I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tonight. This is a healing school and we always teach or minister and or minister along the lines of healing in some way or another and we will tonight as well. But uh, there's something that uh, has been stirring in my heart for some time and, and uh, I want to share it with you and, and we want to kind of steer some things so that um, um, the Lord is, has uh, the Spirit of God rather has greater freedom to move in our midst. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, and um, there's a lot of things that that uh, he feels the need by the Spirit of God to correct. Um, he started the church. He said to the Corinthians uh, something that that I find very interesting. He said, "You've got many teachers. Apparently, there were a lot of different ministers that came through, well known uh, as well as unknown, perhaps to us. But he said, you 'You've got ten thousand teachers, but you've only got one spiritual father, and that's me.' He said, 'If I'm an apostle to anybody, it's to you.'" Now, Paul felt um, or recognized that he needed to assert his position uh, to get them to listen to him. Because if they didn't listen to him, then they weren't going to accept his correction and, and uh, wouldn't receive it as from the Lord and so forth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is talking about uh, or speaks to them about bringing correction to the way they're operating in their services. Now, we don't know everything about what's taking place in, the, in those services, but we do know a couple of things. First of all, Paul said in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, I believe it is, he said, you come behind in no good gift. Well, literally, that means you've got all the gifts of the Spirit in operation in your midst. Well, I guess there's one question we need to consider or at least uh, um, take into account is, why would Paul want to bring or why would the Holy Ghost instruct Paul to bring correction to a church that's got all the gifts of the Spirit in operation? That's something to consider. Here's God trying to bring correction to something the Holy Ghost is allowing to take place and inspiring uh, uh, the people there, the Corinthians, to utilize. Paul never said these things that are happening aren't of God, but he speaks to them about bringing correction to them. Now, in um, well, let's, I don't want to read the whole thing. I don't want to take the whole time to um, uh, the, the whole service this evening to, to read the, the Scripture. But notice that Paul says, beginning in verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. One translation says more than all of you put together. So Paul placed a high priority on praying in other tongues in his own life. But then he goes further and said, yet in the church. He means the church service. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What is Paul saying that the, that the purpose, he's revealing the purpose for the church services, and that is for the people that come, people that attend, to be blessed or ministered to, taught, ministered to, encouraged, etc. So Paul is not saying, I take a dim view of speaking in tongues. He's saying, unless tongues brings edification for everybody, then tongues is best used in your private prayer life. He goes further and says, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Skip down with me to um, uh, verse 23. He says, and here again he's talking about speaking in tongues. He said, if therefore the whole church become together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say you are mad or crazy? Well, apparently God doesn't want the world to see us that way. Now, folks, I, I've said this before, but I can't help but say it again. 
the revelation that God does not want Pentecostal charismatic Christians to look crazy to the world was a great, great comfort to me. Because every charismatic Christian I ever ran into did look crazy. But the Holy Ghost is trying to bring instruction so that the world, the unlearned or unbelievers he's talking about, that could be Christians who just don't know any better, or it could be unbelievers meaning the unsaved. God wants the church to conduct itself in such a way so that even the unsaved aren't weirded out or freaked out by the fact that we speak in other tongues. I had somebody say something to me at, at uh, the end of the service today. She, she introduced herself and, and said, I uh, started watching you on TV. I really liked the teaching. You were talking about this, that, and the other. And so she asked me some questions. And I told her what the word said and how she could uh, get some help from the, in the situation she was in. And then she looked at me. She got this kind of strange look on her face. She said, now, do I understand you speak in tongues? I said, yes, ma'am, I sure do. I said, most everybody in our church does. And she said, well, I don't understand anything about that. I said, well, you just keep coming. You'll figure it out. And you'll come to understand what it is. It's nothing to be afraid of. God's not going to make you do something you don't want to do. But, but people have a weird understanding or a, a lack of understanding about the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of the Holy Ghost. And it's the church's fault. It's not their fault. It's the church's fault. And the, and, and the thing that the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to do is the very thing that will correct that misunderstanding or lack of understanding in the world today. And that is if we learn to operate with, in cooperation with the Holy Ghost in the way that God wants things to work. Notice, skip down with me to verse 26. How is it then, brethren, that when you come together... Now, here's what's happening in the church services. He said, how is it that when you come together, every one of you has a psalm? Say everyone. That means everybody, doesn't it? Every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine. Every one of you has a teaching. Every one of you has a tongue. That means something inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak in an unknown language, unknown to the hearer. Hath a revelation. Hath an interpretation. Let all things be done into edifying. Now, folks, what I want you to understand is the Corinthian church is as is, is crazy as some of their services were and as out of order as some things were. Uh, in their midst and among them and so forth, they went to church with something. They didn't go to church to get something. They knew they had something. And the only thing the Holy Ghost is trying to do through Paul is bring some order to how they use what they've got. Now, I would submit to you at this moment or at the, this scripture points to one thing that is by and large unknown in Pentecostal or charismatic churches today. And that is believers' meetings. That's what I want to get back to. When we were over in our uh, first building over in Watney, we had a much smaller crowd than we do now. And, and uh, um, we were just a... I hate to say it this way, but I hope you'll get the point. We were just kind of a mom-and-pop church. And because of the lesser crowd and because of the smaller environment and things like that, there were a lot of things that we could do there that we haven't been able to duplicate here. Especially with TV and people coming in all the time from TV and stuff like that. There were a lot of things that we could do over there and a lot of meetings that we had over there where the Holy Ghost would move that we haven't been able to duplicate here. Well, we need to get back to some of that. The question is, how do you do it? Well, the way you do it is you teach on it and you get people, our own people. You can't do anything about people that come in from the outside. But if we teach and bring understanding to our own family, 
about what God wants to do and how he wants to do in some services, not every service. Every service is not a believer's meeting, nor should it be. But there are some services it should be. Because I'm not the only one that's got the Holy Ghost. I'm not the only one God wants to use in a service. Now, most of the church uh, services that we have are geared around the ministry gift that God has given me, which is primarily teaching. But that's not all God wants to do, and that's not for the, the only thing or the only times that God wants uh, or the only way that God wants to manifest himself. But there are some things. Did you notice back up in verse uh, 18 and 19, Paul said, I thank, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding that my, by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Think about what that means. That means that God apparently doesn't use Paul in tongues and interpretation very much in church service. Otherwise, Paul would have said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. But when I speak in tongues in the church, I, there's always an interpretation as you know that God uses me or something to that effect. That's not what he says. Apparently, Paul's ministry was focused around teaching. I can relate to that. But that doesn't mean that's the only thing that God wants done. Teaching services are not the only kind of services we should have. Now, based on the, the, the pastor's gift in our church particularly, since that is the gift, the primary gift that I have in fulfilling the pastor's office, we're going to have more teaching meetings than we have any other t- thing. But again, it doesn't mean it's the only way God wants to use us or you operate in the church or flow in here and and so forth he wants to use you just as much as he wants to use me and he wants to use us all let's go back down to verse 27 paul says let all things be done into edifying in the previous verse he said if any man speak in an unknown tongue let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret now folks i would submit to you and i hope you understand this i hope you'll take the time and the spiritual Insight to recognize that Paul is not talking about the number of times somebody speaks in tongues. He's talking about the number of people that participate. He's saying if there's going to be tongues and interpretation, then let it be by one, or I'm sorry, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and then let one person interpret. In other words, he's talking about in a believer's meeting or in a place where the Holy Ghost is moving, there should be an interpreter for each service. Now, the interpreter does not necessarily mean that he's the one that gives out the interpretation. It means he's the one that knows and the one that's in position for God to use to know the direction that the Holy Ghost wants to go in that service. Every church service should have an interpreter. Now, in most cases, it's going to be the pastor, the person in charge of the service or whoever it might be depending on, you know, what type of service it is or where the service is being held. Not all services are in church. But usually it's going to be the, because God's a God of order, usually it's going to be the person that's in charge. But there should always be someone that's able to interpret the flow of the Holy Ghost and to know which way he wants to go. He said, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. Again, he's talking about number of people, not number of messages in other tongues. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter. Notice he said, does not say if there be no interpretation. He said if there be no interpreter. If there's nobody there to discern the flow of the Holy Ghost. Or the direction that the Holy Ghost wants to take a service. Then let him. Meaning the one that feels inspired to speak in other tongues. Let him keep silence in the church. 
and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, if I go into a church service, if I'm visiting in a church or whatever the reason might be, and I go into a church service and I'm inspired to speak in other tongues, if I don't know that there's an interpreter in that service, the Bible tells me to hold my tongue. Yeah, but the Holy Ghost is moving on me to speak. Not if there's not an interpreter. I might feel inspired to speak. I might feel like I'd have just, I'm going to bust if I don't get this out. But if I'm aware for, in, uh, through some means or method that there's no interpreter there, the Bible tells me to keep my mouth shut. Now, here's where the body of Christ misses it. We have the idea that when God wants to use us, we just have to be used. I mean, we just got to do it. We had services when I was working with Brother Hagin that people would interrupt Brother Hagin's teaching and start speaking out in tongues. Part of my job working with him was kind of the bouncer. Of course, we never used that term, but that was kind of my, my, one of my responsibilities. So in, in many cases, these were large auditorium meetings, you know, civic center type things. So I'd go over to where they were, and invariably, I'd try to touch them on the shoulder, pat them on the back, try to get their attention, something like that, and you could not shut these women up to save your life. It was a woman every time. Now, you attach whatever meaning you want to to that. I'm just telling you the fact. And so, if they wouldn't shut up, then what I would have to do is take them by the arm and the elbow and lead them out into the concourse, out from where people were sitting, and lead them out in the concourse. And there were many times where I just had to sit there or stand there with them and wait for several minutes while they finished their thing in other tongues and realized that nobody was listening to them, so they'd stop. And then I would ask him a question. Why are you interrupting the service? Well, I just couldn't help it. The Holy Ghost came on me and I just couldn't help it. And I'd always ask him a question. Do you believe that Brother Hagin is anointed of the Holy Ghost to minister? Oh, yes. I follow Brother Hagin very, very closely. I've listened to everything he's ever preached. Well, then why, ma'am, would the Holy Ghost interrupt himself if he's inspiring Brother Hagin to teach? Why would he interrupt his own teaching, own inspired teaching, for you to speak out in other tongues. Nobody ever had an answer for that. But see what they're operating on is emotion. Paul is saying. Don't get caught up into emotion. When the Holy Ghost wants to use you. He said let all things be done. Unto edifying. That means to build up the other guy. Now one of the things that, that, that I've got on my heart to, to do. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. One of the things I've got on my heart to do is to open the door for God to use whoever he wants to in these believers' meetings as he inspires us to have them. And I'm, I don't, I'm not saying we'll start next week or anything like that. But one of the things that, that I feel impressed to do is open the door for testimonies, particularly healing testimonies. Now, you've heard me say this before, if you've been here any time at all. The Bible tells us in, in the four Gospels, we have 19 recorded incidents of healing, individual cases of healing. Now, there, there are group healings and where Jesus healed the multitudes and the ten lepers and some other things like that that will add to the number. But there are 19 individual cases of healing. It seems to us that there's more than that because, uh, but because some of the gospel accounts give us a different point of view on the same incidents of healing that's why it seems like there's a lot more. But if you can't count them out, take them apart and count them out, you'll find out there are 19 individual cases of healing. In other words, there are 19 Holy Ghost-inspired testimonies of healing. Now, we ought to be able to tell something or learn something 
about what a testimony is supposed to be by seeing how the Holy Ghost does it. Shouldn't we? Look at Mark chapter 5. Let's look at one of them. Here's a very well-known one, one that we use a lot around here. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Mark was the first gospel account that was written. The first gospel account that we have of any healing ministry under uh, any healings under the ministry of Jesus is inspired by the Holy Ghost. Mark is not there. He's not an eyewitness of these things. He's not there taking notes as it happens and gives a, uh, a firsthand account. He's giving an account of what the Holy Ghost inspired him to him to write of things that he had heard, I'm sure, from people that were there firsthand and stories that were related. Now, the first thing that I notice about this, it's, uh, uh, what is it, 10 verses. Notice the first thing about this testimony of healing is how short it is. See, what happens so many times is if, if uh, uh, somebody says, I, we could do it here or in, in any other service, charismatic service anywhere in the country, I guess. If somebody said, we're going to open the floor up for testimonies, invariably you're going to have somebody there that's thinking, praise the Lord. I've just been waiting for Pastor Mike to give me a chance to preach. Testimonies are not preaching. That would not be a testimony that's inspired of the Lord, whatever they have planned to say. That would be a misguided attempt to minister. That's not the purpose. Now, we could take this thing apart, and we do often. We could take this story apart and, for example, talk about, since we know that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. We could teach a whole service, a whole series on faith comes by hearing, using this example, this healing testimony, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind where she said. And Jesus said unto her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Where did she get the faith to, to operate according to what she did? She heard of Jesus. We know that. But the testimony itself doesn't teach us that. The testimony is designed for one and only one thing, and that is to inspire somebody as to the impossible the impossibilities that can be conquered through faith in God and, and certainly in his word. Testimonies, first and foremost, are designed to inspire. Now, I don't know what happened in this story. This may have happened a lot longer. It may have taken a lot longer period of time than it takes for us to read through it. We could talk about how she had to fight through the crowd. Well, I'm sure it wasn't easy for her. She had a communicable disease, an unclean disease. And if she, according to the customs of the day, if she was found out to be in the midst of the crowd, she would be treated just like a leper. They have every right under the law of Moses to stone her to death right where she stands. So we could talk about how tough it was, how difficult it was for her to fight through the crowd. But the testimony didn't tell us that. We could talk about how she suffered for these 12 years. We could talk about all she spent on doctors and how difficult that was for. We could talk about how she felt the morning before she came. 
We could talk about how hopeless she was before she heard of Jesus. We could talk about any and everything that we wanted to about this story, and I'm sure all of it would be accurate and true. But that's not what the testimony does. The testimony covers the details very, very sparsely so that we get to the main issue, and that is she received her healing from Jesus. She received her healing from Jesus. I think a lot of times when we give testimonies, because we don't recognize that they are testimonies, and perhaps you, uh, well, I won't use me for an example. I'll use Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin could kill a story with details like nobody in the world. Now, I loved him because God joined me together with him. But I've heard so many people say, I can't stand to listen to his stories. And I think, you've got to be kidding me. There are so many things you can learn from his stories because he'll take rabbit trails. He'll talk about a detail and, and add something to a story that he didn't tell last time. And my ears would always perk up. They go, I've never heard that part before. But a testimony is not supposed to be that way. You can lose, you can destroy somebody's interest by giving too many details. And that's what happens so often in testimony services. Somebody will get on a roll. They'll start feeling good and people will be in behind them and they can feel the, the electricity of the crowd, the, the enthusiasm of the crowd as they start to tell their story and then they get happy and then they start telling detail after detail after detail. And before it's over, everybody's asleep. Nobody even cares that God did for anything for this person. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Testimonies are, are intended to inspire somebody as to the miracle working power of God or his goodness. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's look at another one. Turn with me over to Mark chapter, or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Let me show you just how quick another one is. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. To another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Eight verses. What Jesus called is uh, called uh, at, at least at this point in time, early in his ministry, was the greatest faith he had ever encountered is covered by eight verses as inspired by the Holy Ghost. Now, you know as well as I do, we could teach a series on great faith and use this, this and this alone. Because we've got other letters. We've got a permanent record of other letters that talk about faith, that talk about the operation of faith, that tell us about how faith comes, that tell us about adding experience to our faith, that tells us about adding patience to our faith, and so forth. We've got other information that coupled together with this story could turn into a great teaching. But that's not the purpose for a testimony. The purpose for a testimony, very simply in this one, what I get out of it is that a man was willing to take Jesus at his word. Jesus called that great faith, and he got a miracle. That tells me that I can take Jesus at his word 
and get the same great miracle that he got. And that's the whole purpose for a testimony. That's the whole purpose for a testimony. Now, uh, there was somebody in the office not long ago. Let me, let me give you a couple of healing testimonies that, uh, that w- I hope will help make the point. There was somebody in the office not long ago that uh, ran into a person that, um, or part of a family that had come to our church. Oh, gee. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's, well, it's certainly over 20 years ago, maybe closer to 25 years ago. And um, this family uh, was... Um, um, well, they had a, a, a baby that was born premature, and they just had started coming to us. I, I'd, I had uh, I'd only met them once, seen them a couple of times perhaps, and then they had this baby. And, and um, like I said, it was very, very premature. I don't remember how, how young it was but, but, or how small it was, but it was very premature. And, uh, and there were a lot of complications with this child. And uh, this little girl was, uh, I, uh, and forgive me if I don't have all the details right, but uh, as I recall the story, um, the baby wasn't born blind, but there was something about it, the eyesight that had not developed fully. And so the doctor said that um, because she was so premature, the chances of her developing good or, or uh, perfect eyesight was virtually nil. And as they saw it, as he diagnosed it, after checking her for a couple of times, they kept her in the hospital, wasn't able to take her home. So they check her every day. He said after checking her several times, her eyesight is degenerating. And so uh, he estimated that within a couple of weeks, the baby would go completely blind and, and there was nothing they could do about it. There was no treatment that was available. There was no surgery they could uh, undertake or anything like that. Well, the, as you could well understand, the mother was just frantic. She was distraught. She called the church and told us what was going on and uh, just over the phone, just very simply over the phone. I was talking to her. And, uh, and I said, well, okay. I said, Jesus said one of the things he came to do is open blind eyes. So let's just believe God. Well, I have to tell you, folks, she didn't believe anything. And I can't, I'm not throwing rocks. You know, she was so distraught. And you can well understand you'd be so emotionally caught up into the situation. It'd be tough to believe anything if you're not already grounded in the word. And she wasn't. So uh, she said, well, okay, okay, just pray. Pastor Mike, just pray. So I said, all right. So I just prayed a simple prayer. I didn't have any feeling. I didn't have any sense of an anointing. I didn't have anything except the word of God that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. So I prayed. Just simple prayer. You know me. There's not much enthusiasm about anything that I say or do or, you know, it's just, just, it's just me. So I prayed a prayer and I said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to start saying, even before you hang up the phone, say, thank God my baby is healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, thank God my baby is healed. Oh, Pastor Mike, what are we going to do? I stopped her and said, stop right there. Hold on. We can't do that. We won't get results that way. I said, say this. Thank God my baby is healed by the stripes of Jesus. It took me about 15 or 20 minutes on the phone, but I got her to say that and just that and had to hang up on her real quick. And again... You can understand the emotions that would be associated with the situation. Well, it was a couple of days later that I, uh, before I heard from her. I don't think it was a week, but anyway, it was several days, maybe up to a week. But she called, and this time she is just absolutely beside herself. And I thought, oh, my gosh. My first thought is, oh, my goodness, what's happened to this child? But the reason she's frantic this time is because she's so excited, because the baby's eyesight was normal, 
The baby has filled out. The baby has recovered to almost a, a full-grown, full-term child, even though it was born premature. The doctors are amazed. They want to use this baby as a test case to try to explain how this thing happened and so on and so forth. Long story short is God did a, lo- a whole lot better and a whole lot more for us than what we asked him to do, but her eyesight was, was perfectly normal. Well, what does that story tell you? The story tells me that God answers his word, honors his word, even when somebody doesn't know what they're doing. But she didn't. Now, there's several ways I could tell that story. I could tell that story from a standpoint of she had not an ounce of faith. And that'd be true. That's absolutely the truth. So if that baby got healed, whose faith did he get healed on? And that's the way a lot of people tell testimonies. Before the testimony is over, you're thinking about, wow, aren't they something? Well, God was kind of involved, you know. I mean, even if it was my faith, and it had to take faith on somebody's part, but even if it was my faith and my faith alone that did it, so what? God's still the miracle worker. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about operating and flowing in the Holy Ghost with the right motive. He's talking about having the right heart. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to set this up so that nobody makes mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes. I've made more than my share. Some of them you know about and some of the others you don't. And I would never share with you what they were. But all of us have attempted to be used by the Holy Ghost and for whatever reason failed miserably. Nobody's exempt from that. And there's nothing that we can do to stop that. And I don't even want to try to stop that. You try to put too much controls on things and God can't move. But what I am trying to get across to you is it takes an understanding of what the Holy Ghost wants to do and it also takes the right heart to to get across what the Holy Ghost wants to share. That's the key. That's the important part. Let me give you another testimony of healing. I'll give you a personal one this time. Um, Many years ago, I don't even know how long ago, I was foolishly playing basketball with uh, some of the guys from the church and the, the, uh, we were playing at another church gymnasium, and they had carpet for who knows whatever reason they did, but they put down carpet for a basketball floor. Well, I know better than to play on something stupid like that or do something stupid to play on that. But I, the guys wanted to play, so I played, and I wound up hurting my knee. I immediately, I know what the Word says. I know what the Bible says about healing. I immediately, and for the next several days thereafter, started confessing the Word over my knee, and it got worse and worse. It got painful. It got swollen up like crazy. looked like a basketball under my pant leg. got to the point where I couldn't even put pants on over that knee. And for whatever reason, I'm continuing to, to confess the Word, thank God for His healing power and so forth. But for whatever reason, I had an impression, an inward impression, I need to go to the doctor over this. Well, I didn't know what that was about, but I knew I had an inward impression. I needed to go to the doctor. Now, going to the doctor is not defeat. A lot of people think that going to the doctor is a a sign of defeat. The doctor is only going to tell you what he sees as far as the symptoms are concerned. He's not your healer. So I went to the doctor knowing full well whatever he says. I'm not obligated to do anything that he wants me to do. I'm still a free moral agent that I can follow God and will believe in in the healing power of God. But I went in there, and he took an x-ray of my knee, and he showed me the x-ray, and I had torn cartilage that that was there was a big gap where the tear was. And he said, the pain that's involved, he explained it to me like this. He said, the pain that's involved is where this thing is separated. It rubs together. When you walk and when you try to move around, it rubs together. And what you're doing is you're wearing down more cartilage. 
He said, the danger in this is if you wear off an edge or a piece of the cartilage, it could get locked up in the joint. And then you're in big trouble. You're in for some major surgery. He said, the best thing for you to do, what you have to do, is you've got to let me start on uh, uh, scheduling a surgery just as soon as possible to get in there and take care of this thing. I said, well, okay, let me think about it, and I'll let you know what I want to do. He said, no, you don't have time to think about it. This thing could go bad any moment. He said, between here and you getting out into the parking lot in the car, your knee could lock up, and once it locks up, we've got a bigger problem than you could even imagine. I said, well, thank you very much. Appreciate your encouragement. But uh, I'll let you know what I'm going to do. I'll call you and let you know what I'm going to do. Well, I hobbled out to my car, and I sat in the front seat of my car, in the driver's seat of my car, and, uh, and I said, now, Lord, you told me to go to the doctor. You did not tell me to have surgery. You could just as easily have told me to have surgery. So I'm considering this up to me. I can have surgery if I want to. But since you didn't tell me to, then that means you're not set on me doing it. You're not instructing me to do it. It's not necessarily your will that I have this surgery. I said, I have complete confidence for you to be able to fix this without the surgery. Now, I don't know why I said that. I mean, I just had it. It was just something I, I wish I could give it to me to myself any time I wanted to. But I just had a confidence that I didn't need the surgery in this situation. So I said, so, Father, I thank you. Whatever it takes to fix my knee and repair the torn cartilage, I thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Well, the next day was no better. The next day after that was no better. But about the third or the fourth day, all of a sudden the pain, the swelling started going down and the pain started getting a little bit less. And after several more days of that... I, it was like it had never happened. So I said, well, thank you, Lord, whatever you did. I thank you for doing it. And the Lord impressed upon me again, go back to the doctor. Well, I thought, well, all right, it won't hurt anything this time. I walk into the doctor's office, made an appointment, walked into the doctor's office. Doctor is, is waiting on me. I mean, he's already upset with me. He said, well, what happened? Did it lock up? I said, no, actually, I'm doing pretty good, doc." He said, well, let me check you out again. He felt around, saw that the swelling had gone down, couldn't feel where the problem was. He's poking around on me, and I'm not screaming or anything like that. So he said, well, let's take another X-ray. So he takes an X-ray, and then after the X-ray, they send me back to the examination room. And then he comes in there, and he's carrying the X-ray picture, and he said, who worked on your knee? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, somebody fixed your knee. And he said, he did a great job because I can't even find any scarring on it. I said, Doc, nobody has touched my knee. He said, you're telling me, and he had both pictures in his hand, you're telling me that this knee and this knee are the same knee and nobody's touched your knee. And I said, well, I believe God for healing. He said, oh. And I said, now, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. I got offended. I said, hold on just a second. You're telling me my knee's better, but now you're going to make fun of the fact that I believe God for healing? He said, well, he said, I don't know if we misdiagnosed it the first time or whatever the case was, but your knee is fine. There's no scar tissue on, scar tissue on your knee whatsoever, no scarring in any way uh, that, that we can see. So I, I don't see that you need my help anymore at all. He could pretty much kick me and threw me out of his office. So now I'm going back to the, to the car, and I'm saying, thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, what was this going to the doctor about? He said, and the Lord spoke to my heart, witness to my heart. He said, if I had just healed your knee, you wouldn't have known what I did. Now, you tell me, was my knee healed? Was there a miracle replacement of cartilage? There's no evidence of the tear. Healing would be a repair of the cartilage. And the doctor told me the cartilage will not grow back together again. 
Now, I'm just going by what the doctor said. I don't know what he told me was true or not, but he told me the cartilage will not repair itself and not grow back together again. And when they repair the cartilage, what they do basically is go in there and staple it together so it doesn't come loose. But the terror is always there in some form because it doesn't grow back together. It doesn't, the cartilage doesn't grow like skin or, or bone or something like that. So you tell me, what happened? I don't know. And don't care. I just know that God healed me. They got two situations. I don't know if either one of them or both of them classify as miracles. But as far as I'm concerned, it took the same faith to exercise when I was believing for my knee to be healed before I went to the doctor as when I believed for my knee to be healed after the doctor. What does that tell us? What does that testimony tell you? Sometimes you need to follow the inward witness to receive your healing. Why didn't I get my healing before I went to the doctor? I don't know. But I know God told me to go to the doctor, and I know it worked when I did. Do you understand what I'm saying? What is the purpose for testimonies? Is it so that somebody looks at me and says, oh, wow, his faith worked? Well, everybody's faith works if you just keep it in, in play. That shouldn't be a surprise. I'm not trying to say, or, and, and it would be wrong to give a testimony or any kind of uh, implication that my faith is greater than your faith or... Stuff like that doesn't matter. And that's the whole point that Paul is trying to make. Paul said of things, he said it's not just the action but the heart. He said I could give everything I have to the poor, but if I don't have love, I haven't done anything. He said if I have faith to move every mountain in the world, but I don't have love, I haven't done anything. That's what Paul is trying to correct. That's the instruction, the correction that the Holy Ghost is bringing to the Corinthian church. He's trying to bring it to them in a number of ways. One of the problems that they had was during the Lord's Supper. They're running over each other to get a belly full of food and leaving out other people. He said, look out for the people so that everybody has something. Turn back with me. I'll close with this. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians. I think it's in chapter 12. I'll have to find it, but I think it's in chapter 12. What's the purpose for the Holy Ghost moving? What's the purpose in the Holy Ghost moving in church? Notice Paul says, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 what the operation of the Holy Ghost is. Verse 7, he said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of knowledge, to another the word of knowledge by the same, or, I'm sorry, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, or Amplified says special faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings. In the original text, both gifts and healings are in the plural because there's a plurality of gifts of healings. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Why? He's just told us how. The question I want to pose to you is why? Why does the Holy Ghost manifest himself in those ways? Nine different manifestations. Why does he manifest himself in those ways? Look over in verse 25. Here's the answer. That there should be no schism or lack or division in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. 
In other words, if the Holy Ghost wants to use me, it's not for me. If he wants to use me, it's for you. If he wants to use you, it's for somebody else in the body of Christ. God doesn't manifest the Holy Ghost in you or through you for you. He, but he does want to use you as a part of the body to help somebody else in the family of God. When we understand that, you understand just that basic premise. Then it's not about what God's doing with me. It's about what can you get from it. Now think about that for a minute. Notice all the times that Jesus said, I've got a lot of things I could say to you, but you can't handle them. So God's apparently, if Jesus is our example, God apparently expects us to have some sense of wisdom in the way we say things. Here's a mistake people make where prophecy is concerned. Most people think that prophecy always includes revelation, and it doesn't. The Bible says prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort, to encourage people, to build them up, to comfort them. That's what the simple gift of prophecy is for. Sometimes it does contain revelation, but most often those come through people that are used in ministry gifts because God doesn't want me, even as a pastor, God doesn't want me to tell you what his plan for you is. Why? Because he wants to tell you what his plan for you is. So if I take a position that because I see all and I know all, thus saith the Lord. Well, if you have any kind of confidence in me, you may violate the inward witness you've got about doing something that God really wants you to do and listen to what I say. And wouldn't that make a mess? But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Prophecy is just simply giving out what the Lord gives you for whatever purpose he has. But it's never going to be to direct somebody. It's never going to be to tell somebody that they've done right or they've done wrong. That would be the ultimate last resort, and God's not going to use me as a pastor to do that. In most cases, he'll use a higher office. Are you with me? Believers' meetings work when believers are concerned about each other and not themselves. That's the bottom line. How is it, brethren? Each one of you, when you come together, each one of you has a tongue, has a doctrine, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. God won't withhold anything if we'll be open to let him get the glory for whatever's done. Is this making any sense? That's the way things are supposed to work. It's not about Hey, look, and, and it's easy to get excited about stuff like this. It's easy when God uses you to get happy about it and say, wow, God used me. Well, that's great. He's supposed to use you. This may be new to you, but it's not new to him. This may be a first-time experience for you and me, but it's not a first-time experience to him. He wants to use all of his children. And he wants us to be so familiar with him. He wants us to be so open to being used by the Holy Ghost that we give out whatever we give, whatever we get from him, not trying to direct it, not trying to influence anybody, just laying it out there and letting it go for its, uh, let it stand on its own merit. Turn with me. There's one thing I need to share with you about this too. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me give you another testimony. And here's where people make mistakes about uh, in testimonies and prophecies and stuff like that. I don't know about you, but I want to learn from other people's mistakes. I don't want to duplicate them. And I've seen a lot of people make mistakes that I never want to make. Now, here's a testimony. When uh, I started working with Brother Hagen in the um, summer between my first and second year of uh, uh, Bible school, 
summer of 1981. So I had been working with Brother Hagin for a year in 1982 when summer came around, the end of my second year of Bible school. Um, we were getting ready to go on, uh, I was part of his crusade team. We were getting ready to go on his um, summer tour. Now, the, the second summer that I worked with him was a lot different from the first one in that um, the second summer was basically going to be seven or eight weeks stuck on a bus with other people that were part of the team. And at the beginning of that summer, the Lord really impressed upon my heart, just an inward witness, the Lord really impressed upon my heart to seek his face. The Lord spoke to me and said, seek me, S-E-E-K, seek me. Well, I didn't know how. And so I spent a lot of time studying the Bible, going through a concordance. Back then, you didn't have iPads or uh, computer programs or laptops or anything like that. So I took with me the the Strong's Concordance on this uh, bus trip, this several-week-long bus trip. And I looked up every verse in the Bible out of that concordance where the word seek is used. And, folks, there's a ton of them. I mean, hundreds. And I wrote every one of them out that had anything to do with seeking God. Now, some, not all the verses were about seeking God, but most of them were. So I wrote out hundreds of verses of scriptures on a, on a yellow pad about seeking God. And after I finished that, it took me, you know, several days, most of, uh, most of the day for several days, on this bus traveling from one place to another. And when I finished, I've got this yellow pad, several yellow pads actually, of scriptures. And I'm thinking, why don't I write those out? I've got the same thing written out now that I had in the concordance, just in bigger type or bigger letters, easier to read. But now what am I going to do? I don't know any more about seeking God than I did before. So every day from that point forward, every day I would go through that yellow pad, those yellow pads, reading those verses about seeking God. And every time I'd finish, I'd say, Lord, this doesn't seem right, but I don't know what else to do. Now, I learned a lot about the Bible because I'm reading hundreds of scriptures every day. And over a period of time, you get used to seeing the same scripture again and again and again. It starts to soak in a little bit. You get familiar with it a little bit more than you were at least when you started. But I did this for week after week after week. And every time I finished, I'm, I'm saying, uh, you know, to myself, Lord, I don't know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or not. I don't have anything else from you. It seems like if you're telling me to seek you, you'd at least tell me how. But since I don't have any further direction, I'm just going to do what's in front of me. The only thing that I know to do, which was this. And keep it up until you tell me otherwise. So it went day after day, week after week. For well over a month, I'm doing this every day. Sometime during the day, I'd take this thing with me. And during, sometimes during services where Brother Hagin's ministering, I'm sitting there in the service kind of half listening to him and half reading through my scriptures. Every time I'm finishing, I'm talking to the Lord about it. I'd come to a scripture where I'd see something new that I didn't see yesterday. And I'd say, well, that's cool. I like seeing that. And I started learning some things that I didn't know before, but it still didn't have anything to do, in, in my estimation, didn't have anything to do with seeking the Lord. We get back from this summer tour. We're back in, uh, at the end of July. Camp meeting is just about to start. We've got one week between the, the summer tour that we were on, the six or seven weeks, whatever it was, uh, one week to get ready for camp meeting, which is held in downtown Tulsa at the Civic Center. was at the time. And I am thinking about this, feeling like a failure, truly, feeling like an absolute failure because here, here I am, the Lord told me six or seven weeks ago to seek his face, to seek him, 
And I don't feel like I've done anything to, to accomplish the goal. I've done everything I know to do, but it didn't feel like it was doing anything. So I start walking up the stairs from the back entrance to the office that I had upstairs, the crusade office, and the upstairs administration building that they had at the time, and or that they used at the time. And I am in mid-step, midway up the the, uh, the stairs, the back stairs, all by myself. Nobody's around. And I got halfway up the stairs, and all of a sudden, the Lord quickened a verse of Scripture in my heart, which was Hebrews eleven six, which says this. This was one of my list. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe. He's going to mention two things. If you come to God, these are two things you've got to believe. He that cometh to God must believe, number one, that he is. I've always interpreted that as that he is who he says he is. Not just that he exists. I know that he exists. I don't have to believe he exists. I know that. But I've always looked at it as believing that God is who he says he is in his word. And number two, what you must believe, is that he is a rewarder of him that, of them that diligently seek him. And folks, something happened to me. Something happened to me. This verse of Scripture was quickened in my heart, and I instantly knew, instantly knew. Now, I was in a financial bind. Beth and I had just been married for, um, oh, what, uh, well, about a year, just about a year at that point in time. I wasn't making any money. Brother Hagen hired me, and so nobody would mess with my salary, and I was the single lowest paid employee at Kenneth Hagen Ministries as a result of it. Nobody would give me a review. Nobody would give me a, any kind of uh, salary evaluation or anything because everybody looked at it and said, well, Brother Hagen hired him. Brother Hagen doesn't hire anybody. So Brother Hagen hired him. Brother Hagen must be in, paying him what he wants him to have. We'll leave it alone. And so I'm being ignored. Out of 200 employees, I am the lowest paid employee at the ministry. Now, I, I do it for nothing. I was having the time of my life. But I'm also having to work other jobs, outside jobs, just to make ends meet. To keep the, you know, give us a place to live and lights on and pay the utilities and stuff like that. And I'm running out of time. And you could well understand that when I'm on the road for six or seven weeks at a time, there's no outside job you could work. So that put us in an even greater bind. I've still got school loans and stuff like that to pay for. Debts that I had before we got married. And, uh, and so we were in a financial bind, just a hardship. And so I'd been praying about some of those things along the way. Believing God for finances and not knowing how it's going to work, but just trusting in the word. But halfway up those stairs, I realized that I am due for a reward. And God requires of me because I've been diligently seeking his face. Even though I didn't know what I was doing, even though I didn't feel like I was being effective, I've been seeking him to the best of my ability. So I'm in line to believe for and receive a reward. Now, the end of the story is this. And there's a reason for me telling you this story. The end of the story is this. Within a matter of days, somebody had contacted Brother Hagen. My boss, my immediate boss, had contacted Brother Hagen and said, what do you want to do about Mike's salary? And Brother Hagen said, well, I don't have anything to do with his salary. And then the personnel started saying, well, you're the one that hired him. You're the one that said what you wanted to pay him and start him off at. Everybody's been leaving him alone because they thought he was your employee. He said, he's no different than anybody else. Do whatever you're supposed to do with him. So within a matter of several days, less than a week, they had doubled my salary. I went from being the lowest paid employee at Kenneth Hagin Ministry to being in the top 10%. Here's where people miss it where testimonies are concerned. I could quote this scripture to you. I could tell you the story. I could hope 
And a lot of people do. A lot of people tell their stories and their experiences, hoping or expecting that when they tell the story, the same thing that happened within them, the same revelation that came to them in their spirit is going to happen to whoever hears it, and it won't. It's not the way that it works. The reason the revelation came to me, the reason I received what I did was because of the condition of my heart and because I was in obedience to what God had told me to do. I can't guarantee that's going to be the case for anybody else that hears the story. So oftentimes what happens when we give testimonies, we're trying to duplicate what happened to us in somebody else. And that's not the way it works. I had something not too long ago, and I I don't mean this to be critical, but it, it just kind of makes the point and illustrates the point. There was something I said, uh, oh, I don't know. It's been several years back now. But I said one of the things that, uh, just being honest with people, I said one of the things that I've always struggled with is the love of God. Because I know me. I know where I've messed up. I know where I've failed God. And I've always been real hard on myself where I've missed it and a lot harder on myself than God would ever be on me. And so it's uh, because of that, because of some of my experience or lack of experience with my father and relationships and so forth, it's always been kind of hard for me to, um, uh, to see God as my father and to accept that he loves me in the way that a father loves a son. Having children really helped me because it helped me see what a father's love is all about. And, uh, and so I just made a casual comment. And, and, folks, it's not something I sit and struggle with, but it's something that I work on. It's something that I have to I realize it's a weakness in my life, and so I shore up in those areas. I do what I would do if it was a weakness in any area. If I was weak in the area of healing or knowledge about healing, I'd shore up with the Word of God in that area. I shore up with the Word of God in the, concerning the love of God. I do it all the time. It's one of the things I focus on because I realize I have a natural weakness in that area because of my experience. Well, somebody heard that, and, and apparently they had had a similar experience or something, uh, an experience in their life where God had really dealt with them in a forceful way about him, his love for them. And so they were just dead set on having a meeting with me so that they could tell me that experience and tell me the forcefulness with which God said that he loved them. And they were just sure that the same thing was going to happen to me. Now, I didn't know any of this when it happened. They just asked for a meeting, said they had something that they believed the Lord wanted to share wanted them to share with me and so i said well okay and it turned out to be just a real awkward experience because you can't duplicate your experience for somebody else just by giving your testimony and that's not the purpose for a testimony if god's going to quicken something to somebody's heart he doesn't need you or me to get in the middle the purpose for a testimony is to encourage somebody so that they reach out to god for themselves are you out there If we come to the place where we're willing to be used in whatever way God wants to use us, not trying to dictate to him, but whatever way God wants to use us, if we're willing to be used in for whatever result that God wants to bring from it, then the pipeline is open a lot more for God to use us as he wants to. Folks, God wants us to have believers meetings. He wants us to be used by the Holy Ghost to help one another. He doesn't want everything just coming from the pulpit. He wants to be able to flow freely. And a lot of times what happens is through believers meetings or God using people in settings like that, he can unlock things, gifts, endowments that are dormant in people that they wouldn't know that would, that would never even know that we're there otherwise. So there are some good things that the Lord wants to do with us. We're going to get back to having some believers meetings. We'll talk some more about this. I want to lay some more groundwork and foundation for it before we do, before we get started. But when we do, 
If we do it right, if we lay the right kind of foundation, have the right kind of heart toward it, then it's going to be a great and wonderful thing. The more the Holy Ghost is able to be used in, or the more the Holy Ghost is welcomed in a service and able to use us in a service, it'll open the door to bigger and better and greater things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we all have the Holy Ghost within us. Thank you that your power is residing in us. Therefore, we pray, even as Paul prayed for the churches, that you would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as children of God, the saints, and that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Lord, give us a heart to help other people, not so that we be seen as the one that helped, but just so that you can reach others through us. Lord, we desire for the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our services and in our midst that there be no lack in the body. Use us according to your plan and purpose, according to your will and not according to ours. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your willingness to manifest yourself in our midst. In Jesus' precious name, if you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.